This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. On pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, this is episode one. 63 part two i just want to mention this quickly uh, as well as we're in a break in that article um i had a gentleman from pain.tv slash gold named mark on the show and we talked about the book of revelation we talked about end times we talked about the antichrist really really fascinating conversation and then Dana, who I know from pain.tv slash gold, he had been on the show uh, previous to this, but he had reached out to me and said, hey, I've been studying this stuff as well. I love Mark, um, brother in Christ. I love to see people that are so educated and are studying the Bible. Um, and so he asked if he could have a conversation with me. I said, Dana, just come on the show. It's fine. We're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. We're all friends. We're all family over here. That's the way I see it anyway, over here at the Dust and Gold Standard. We're all learning from each other, and I'm learning from you guys. Uh, and I'm learning from some people in my regular, everyday personal life as well. And so then Mark reached back out a couple of days ago and said he had some follow-up on the conversation i had with dana and i said mark why don't i try to get you and dana on the show together and we can have a three-way conversation i think it would be great because i i don't want it um to be a tit for tat i think in a sense it's it's learning it's like if i had two other people on who were experts in ai we could have a conversation we could all learn from each other so i'm going to reach out to dana i assume he's probably listening so dana i'm going to reach out to you and see if i can figure this out if you guys want to come on the floor is yours have a conversation back and forth i'll pop in when i have a question here or there but i think uh, between the two of you it would be a remarkable conversation and eventually maybe i can get the pastor whose house we've been going to on sundays for sort of a home service home bible study on as well because i've been keeping him abreast of the conversations i've had with you guys and he finds them to be fascinating and he went to bible college i don't know 45 years ago or something uh went and had a career not as a minister or priest or anything like that uh and then started hosting this home service years ago with a group of homeschool parents so i i think it's a good break from just talking about the tech all the time um i learn from you guys anyone else has any interesting topics they want to bring here to the show reach out to me me at dustingoldshow.com 
and uh, throw some ideas at me, folks. Let, let's expand uh, what we're talking about here. All right, let's get into the early mile, uh, milestones in artificial intelligence. This is the first AI programs. Again, we're getting into the history of AI. Uh, it just appeared magically in your life. Don't you want to know where it came from? It's like all of a sudden, the first day you're introduced to basketball. Don't you have the curiosity, intellectual curiosity? Go, where, where did basketball come from? I want to know about the history of basketball. So I want to know about the history of AI. And that will help me figure out what its actual purpose is. It says the earliest successful AI program was written in 1951 by Christopher Strachey, later director of programming research group at the University of Oxford. Strachey's checkers, uh, called Droughts, program ran on the Ferranti Mark I computer at the University of Manchester, England. By the summer of 1952, this program could play a complete game of checkers at a reasonable speed. Information about the earliest successful demonstration of machine learning was published in 1952. Shopper, written by Anthony Oettinger at the University of Cambridge, ran on the EDSAC computer, E-D-S-A-C, or EDSAC computer. Shopper's simulated world was a mall of eight shops. When instructed to purchase an item, Shopper would search for it, visiting shops at random until the item was found. While searching, Shopper would memorize a few of the items stocked in each shop, visited just as a human shopper might. The next time, Shopper was sent out for the same item or for some other item that it had already located. It would go to the right shop straight away. This simple form of learning, as is pointed out in the introductory section, what is intelligence, is called rote learning. Now, it's fascinating to see that these guys all the way back in the 30s and the 50s, you know, developing sort of this, this artificial version of the brain, of the human. Why? Well, obviously back then, the goal, at least you're supposed to believe, was to begin developing better machines, faster assembly lines. Remember, at this time, the concept of technocracy had already been formed, you know, going back to 1919. This is streamlining everything. Building a society that is based on the systems control of production, you know, and the means of the production and the distribution of the goods and services. And so everything was about streamlining this. So where do you start? Well, you got to start duplicating the human brain so that you can create something you have full control over that could work. Remember, and I'm, I'm going to keep repeating this, we were deemed, humans were deemed to be inefficient by the technocracy going all the way back to the 1920s. They referred to us as the human engine, and they said that we were inefficient. Because with the energy they gave us, that we're allowed to take in through food and oxygen, we only put 10% of that back into the industrial system in the form of work. And that's all they care about, is streamlining and making more efficient the process of work and the creation of goods and services and the distribution of such. It's a system that does not respect 
humanity, human dignity. It does not respect art, literature, poetry. There's no love. There's no magic inside the system of technocracy. Everything is controlled. And that's one of the reasons why these folks are so hard-pressed on making the technology look like magic. And that's one of the reasons I like to break it down. Chat GPT is not magical. All right, Dali, uh, Stable Diffusion, Mid Journey, these art generators are not magic. It's computers and programming and calculations and algorithms and formulas that are behind all this. And as you see, they need thousands upon thousands upon thousands, which will eventually get into the hundreds of thousands and then the millions of data centers to run all this. Rather than just letting humans run around and do their thing, they want to control everything. It's a system of control. Let's continue. The first artificial intelligence program to run in the United States also was a checkers program written in 1952 by Arthur Samuel for the prototype of the IBM 701. Samuel took over the essentials of Strachey's checkers program and over a period of years considerably extended it. In 1955, he added features that enabled the program to learn from experience. Samuel included mechanisms for both rote learning and generalization, enhancements that eventually led to his programs winning one game against a former Connecticut checkers champion in 1962. Well, I was born and raised in Connecticut, ladies and gentlemen, and I was not aware of that. Why is that not on the top 10 list of important Connecticut facts back in kindergarten? (laughs) I don't know, but now I know. Now I know. Evolutionary computing. Samuel's checkers program was also notable for being one of the first efforts at evolutionary computing. His program evolved by pitting a modified copy against the current best version of his program with the winner becoming the new standard evolutionary computing typically involves the use of some automatic method of generating and uh, evaluating successive generations of a program until a highly proficient solution evolves a leading proponent of evolutionary computing john holland also wrote test software for the prototype of the ibm 701 computer In particular, he helped design a neural network, virtual rat, that could be trained to navigate through a maze. This work convinced Holland of the efficacy of the bottom-up approach. While continuing to consult for IBM, Holland moved to the University of Michigan in 1952 to pursue a doctorate in mathematics. He soon switched, however, to a new interdisciplinary program in computers and information processing, later known as communication science, created by Arthur Burks, one of the builders of uh, ENIAC, E-N-I-A-C, and its successor, EDVAC. In his 1959 dissertation, For most likely the world's first computer science PhD, Holland proposed a new type of computer, a multiprocessor computer that would assign each artificial neuron in a network to a separate processor. In 1985, Daniel Hill solved the engineering difficulties to build the first such computer. The 65,536 Processor Thinking Machines Corporation Supercomputer. This is great, folks. 
I mean, this is the type of stuff I'm laying this down uh, partially for Willie G's homeschool lessons. Uh, that's really where I, I think a lot of this goes, folks. If you want your kids and grandkids to understand the world they're living in, where it all came from, this is the history. They're not teaching this stuff at school. We just accept the world we live in and you just get molded into it like a blob. You just get absorbed into this. Well, for Willie G, I want to be able to show him this is where the world came from that you're living inside of. It's not magic. The smartphones, the computers, they didn't just appear. People were behind all this. Goes on to say, Holland joined the faculty at Michigan after graduation and over the next four decades directed much of the research into methods of automating evolutionary computing, a process now known by the term genetic algorithms. Systems implemented in Holland's laboratory included a chess program, models of a single-cell biological organism, and a classifier system for controlling a simulated gas pipeline network. Genetic algorithms are no longer restricted to academic demonstrations. However, in one important practical application, a genetic algorithm cooperates with a witness to a crime in order to generate a portrait of the criminal. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to wrap this up because I want to go too deep into this because I want to start to show you the next phase you know, how all this uh, started, ladies and gentlemen, what it grew into, and how we find it today just plugged into everything, everything around us, open AI, our new brain, folks, the end of common sense and critical thinking. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. Um, I'm going to go over to a new source here. Now, this Britannica article, if you want to look up uh, artificial intelligence, there's so much more in here, and we may refer back to it, but it's going to get into all of the different um, steps and different tests and different people involved uh, with the creation uh, that leads up to artificial intelligence. But I'm going to skip ahead. I want to bring in some more uh, interesting stuff into this conversation, and we may eventually go back and look at the rest of that. But if you want to look it up, just look it up in Britannica, uh, Artificial Intelligence. You're going to find it. It's a really good source. And um, based on all the other reading and research I've done, it is fairly accurate. I mean, um, it's missing some stuff, but it has a lot of information. All right. This is over at um, Stanford.edu. And this says, a proposal for the Dartmouth Summer Research Project on Artificial Intelligence. 
And so there's uh, four people here. Jay McCarthy from Dartmouth College, M.L. Minsky. Uh, that's Martin Minsky. We're going to eventually get into him at Harvard University. Uh, North uh, N. Rochester, IBM Corporation. C.E. Shannon Bell Telephone Laboratories. And this is written August 31st, 1955. And this is important because... Um, it leads into the next section. It says, we propose that a two-month, 10-man study of artificial intelligence be carried out during the summer of 1956 at Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire. The study is to proceed on the basis of the conjecture that every aspect of learning or any other feature of intelligence can, in principle be so precisely described that a machine can be made to simulate it. An attempt will be made to find how to make machines use language, form abstractions and concepts, solve kinds of problems now reserved for humans, and improve themselves. So all in line with uh, what we just reviewed in the first few segments here. It says, we think that a significant advance can be made in one or more of these problems if a carefully selected group of scientists work on it together for a summer. It says, the following are some aspects of the artificial intelligence problem. And so uh, I'll go through the list and then we'll uh, break this down. It says, one, automatic computers. Two, how can a computer be programmed to use a language? Three, neuron nets. Four, theory of the size of a calculation. Five, self-improvement. Six, abstractions. Seven, randomness and creativity. All right, so let's break these down, and then I'll show you. Again, this is proposal for the Dartmouth Summer Research Project on Artificial Intelligence, and then we'll show you. Um, where this came about, like what happened with this, why it's important. So number one, automatic computers. If a machine can do a job, then an automatic calculator can be programmed to simulate the machine. The speeds and memory capacities of present computers may be insufficient to simulate many of the higher functions of the human brain, but the major obstacle is not lack of machine capacity, but our inability to write programs taking full advantage of what we have. This is back in 55, folks. This is almost 70 years ago. Uh, number two, how can a computer be programmed to use a language? It may be speculated that a large part of human thought consists of manipulating words according to rules of reasoning and rules of conjecture. From this point of view, forming a generalization consists of admitting a new word and some rules whereby sentences containing it imply and are implied by others. This idea has never been very precisely formulated, nor have examples been worked out. Number three, neuron nets. How can a set of hypothetical neurons be arranged so as to form concepts? Considerable theoretical and experimental work has been done on this problem by Utley, Ryszkiewski and his group, Farley and Clark, Pitts and McCullough, Minsky, Rochester and Holland and others. Partial results have been obtained, but the problem needs more 
theoretical work. So by this time, folks, in 55, you have to remember the concepts of technocracy, the science of social engineering, and the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services was already in practice and then already introduced into government through Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. We've uh, showed you all of that stuff in uh, past episodes. So now the scientists, these folks are hard at work beginning to implement all this stuff. Uh, Number four, theory of the size of a calculation. If we are given a well-defined problem, one for which it is possible to test mechanically whether or not a proposed answer is a valid answer, one way of solving it is to try all possible answers in order. The method is inefficient. See, inefficient. Everything is about efficiency here. And to exclude it, one must have a criterion for efficiency of calculation. Some consideration will show that to get a measure of the efficiency of a calculation, it is necessary to have on hand a method of measuring the complexity of calculating devices, which in turn can be done if one has a theory of the complexity of functions. Some partial results on this problem have been obtained by Shannon and also by McCarthy. Self-improvement. Probably a truly intelligent machine will carry out activities which may best be described as self-improvement. Some schemes for doing this have been proposed and are worth further study. It seems likely that this question can be studied abstractly as well. This is important, folks, because this is all what leads up to what we're seeing now with OpenAI, ChatGPT, all this other stuff. This is where it came from. This is the beginning. This is the think tank, the brain trust here. They're taking all the stuff that happened between the 30s and the uh, all the way to the early 1950s now, and they're starting to shape this. And they're trying to come up with how they're going to develop artificial intelligence. Number six, abstractions. A number of types of, abstract, uh, of abstraction can be distinctly defined and several others less distinctly. A direct attempt to classify these and to describe machine methods of forming abstractions from sensory and other data would seem worthwhile. And finally, we have number seven, randomness and creativity. A fairly attractive and yet clearly incomplete conjecture is that the difference between creative thinking and unimaginative uh, competent thinking lies in the injection of some randomness. The randomness must be guided by intuition to be uh, efficient. In other words, the educated guess or the hunch include controlled randomness and otherwise orderly thinking in addition to the above collectivity formulated problems for study we have asked the individuals taking part to describe what they will work on statements by the four originators of the project are attached we propose to organize the work of the group as follows Potential participants will be sent copies of this proposal and asked if they would like to work on the artificial intelligence problem in the group, and if so, what they would like to work on. The invitations will be made by organizing committee on the basis of its estimate of the individual's potential contribution to the work of the group. The members will circulate their previous work and their ideas for the problems to be attacked during the months preceding the working period of the group. 
During the meeting, there will be regular research seminars and opportunity for the members to work individually and in informal small groups. And the originators of this proposal. All right, so I'm not going to go through um, each of these persons' bios, okay? But again, we have C.E. Shannon, M.L. Minsky, uh, N. Rochester, and J. McCarthy. Uh, We can come back to this uh, if we decide to. Uh, It says the Rockefeller Foundation, all right, Rockefeller Foundation, is being asked to provide financial support for the project on the following basis. All right, so now we bring the Rockefellers into the mix, folks. And uh, Wide Awake Jim has been a guest on the show, I don't know, 10 times. Uh, He's been talking about a book he read on the Rockefellers that really just, they're behind Pretty much everything, folks. Pretty much everything. So you've got the Rockefeller Foundation here. Uh, remember, we're back in 1955. This group is asking for money from the Rockefellers to form this artificial intelligence uh, research project uh, taking place over the summer of uh, 56. We're going to be going into depth on this, so I'm setting the stage. Uh, so this is what they're asking for from the Rockefellers. One, salaries of $1,200 each faculty level participant who is not being supported by his own organization. It is expected, for example, that the participants from Bell Laboratories and IBM Corporation will be supported by these organizations, while those from Dartmouth and Harvard will require foundation support. So they're asking for $1,200 each for... Um, the two folks, one from Harvard and one from Dartmouth, that would be McCarthy and Minsky. And they're saying Rochester from IBM and Shannon from Bell Telephone would most likely be paid by their company. Number two, salaries of $700 for up to two graduate students. Number three, railway fare for participants coming from a distance. Number four, rent for people who are simultaneously renting elsewhere. Number five, secretarial expenses of $650, $500 for a secretary, and $150 for duplicating expenses. Number six, this is great. I mean, we have the original proposal. Number six, organization expenses of $200 includes expense of reproducing preliminary work by participants and travel necessary for organization purposes. And number seven, expenses for two or three people visiting for a short time. Uh, Estimated expenses for six salaries of $1,200 and $7,200, two salaries of $700 and $1,400. And it's got eight traveling and rent expenses averaging $324,000, secretarial and organizational expense at $850. It's got a bunch of other stuff here. Uh, Just basically totaling up uh, all of the... um, all of the expenses here. Uh, this I find interesting. So six salaries at twelve. Okay, so I think they're they want twelve hundred for the whole month. It says I would like to devote my research to one or both of the topics listed below. While I hope to do so, it is possible that because of personal considerations, I may not be able to attend for the entire two months. I nevertheless intend to be there for whatever time is possible all right so then it goes through a list here uh one two and three application of information theory the matched environment um and then it goes on with some additional information now this is a lengthy proposal 
All right, that gets into originality, machine performance, process of invention or discovery. A um, lot of stuff here. And then resources and names of folks. I am not going in this show to go through this entire thing. We may go back uh, later and examine some of the documents like the Britannica article and this one. Uh, I just wanted to show you this. 1955, these folks are setting up the summer research project at Dartmouth uh, focused on artificial intelligence, taking all these concepts from the 30s, 40s, early 50s. Now we're in the mid-50s, and they're asking the Rockefellers to step in and to fund this research. All right, next up, let's go a little deeper into this. I'm going to show you another document. Uh, I think we'll start with an article, and then we're going to start to break down a few documents for you folks as we examine the origins of artificial intelligence. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 